0: Welcome to the 360 Recruiting Podcast, a podcast for OU Recruitniks, presented by Sooners360.com. Each and every week, we catch you up on the latest in OU recruiting, including offers, evaluations, schedules, opinions, and more. We hope you enjoy this week's episode.
1: Welcome to Welcome to another... Episode of the Sooners 360 Recruiting Podcast. My name is Chris Mason, the lead recruiting analyst over at Sooners 360. I'm joined by my usual partner in crime, the uh, the reviewer and uh, analysis of recruits and prospects uh, guru for us, uh, Caleb Cummings. And this is episode 42, which is titled "On the Eve of the Potential Dream Defensive Line Class." Uh, As usual, we're going to go ahead and start with the latest recruiting news of the week. going to run down what's been happening that's impacting OU or about to impact OU. So, Caleb, I'm going to go ahead and start with uh, commitment news, which we again have a commitment to talk about. We've been lucky that we've had uh, a commitment every every week for the last couple of weeks. And uh, a player I know that you like, and we're going to give you a little runway to talk about this in our next segment, but, oh, you got a commitment on Saturday from Josh Iasosa, who bumped up his announcement date, and I think he was smart to do that, to uh, Saturday. He was supposed to announce on the same day as Williams-Nawari, who we're going to get into in a, in a little greater detail. But if you're online at all, you know the Williams-Nawari commitment has taken on a life of its own, and it's kind of, it's all over the place. So I think Josh did a good job to avoid that that hullabaloo, that that mess, and he got you know, and and he got attention for his commitment, uh, media attention and internet attention. So I think it was a good move by Josh. He knew he was going to OU. Everyone pretty much knew he was choosing the suitors. So uh, it's another offensive lineman. It's the third offensive line commit for OU. He's uh, again, he's at Edmond Santa Fe. OU has been talking to Josh since about April. I know some people are going to kind of scoff at his offer list. That has Iowa State and Tulsa on it, but uh, they they produce good college football offensive linemen. So it's you know when you're talking offensive linemen, Tulsa, you know Tulsa has a has a first round NFL offensive lineman, uh, offensive tackle in the last five years, and and Texas doesn't. So where where you find offensive line is kind of all over the place.
0: Oh, you know, and you can throw in. I think he was one of the top. Maybe top two, maybe top three transfers in this last cycle was another offensive tackle uh, out of Tulsa. I, I think then he landed right. landed Ohio State or somewhere. Uh, maybe he was maybe it was Florida State or I think it actually was Auburn, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, uh you know, with stuff like that, I just don't care what other like folks think at those recruiting services because the reality is as you get that far down the chain, they're not actually watching film. They're not actually evaluating. I could give a damn what they think.
1: Like I'll trust my own <laughs> eyes. No, I, I'm with you. So you know, I think it's a you know, I, like a lot of people would be like, well, he's like a B B B-plan guy. I'm like, well, you know, oh, you only made two offers after they started losing some of these prospects. So it's not like Bill Biedenbaugh offered ten other kids. They made one to Josh Ayasosa, who they've landed, and they made one to Daniel Ekinkumi. Who we're, we'll talk about here in a, in a couple of minutes. So, I think it's a good pickup for OU. Adding depth on the offensive line is important, and you know, and I, I think, you know, uh, Caleb. To be honest, I just love an OU. I just love an in-state kid who gets an OU offer, realizes the value of the OU offer, doesn't screw around, and 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 grabs it. And you know, is is a, is excited about it. Wants to be a sooner. And doesn't let doesn't decide that he's going to. Well, I'm going think about this. You know, he knows what the value of the OU offer is. He knows the value of being coached by Bill Biedenbaugh. and he just grabbed it. He just you know the moment he got that offer, he was like, you know, I'm I'm uh, you know I am going to be I'm going to be a Sooner. Basically, it was it was badly badly hidden in some recruiting. Some oh well, I'm evaluating some stuff, but you could just tell it was like this is I understand this is a significant offer and a significant change to my recruiting profile. And I'm not going to sit around and not take it. And, you know, we've seen kids in the past, you know, kind of, oh, OU offers them and they kind of like, well, you know, they kind of slow play the Sooners or, or say, well, you know, I'm not sure. It's like, you know, okay. You know, and, they, and they're unsuccessful and they're unsuccessful. The kids, generally OU kids that like grab the OU offer immediately are, are pretty successful.
0: Well, you know, we we've really have seen it for years. Uh, a lot of kids in Tulsa area have done it. I I don't recall the the two players, you know, maybe three, four, it made be five years ago. That I mean, you know, they even had uh I think one of like the News Nine or someone in Tulsa sit down with them. Tulsa World did a big article on Oklahoma's not offering these kids. And they were just, I think, in the spring of their junior year. Oklahoma ends up yeah. offering, they spurn them, they go to, you know. Uh, Arkansas and, and they go, you know, they they win six games in, in five years and transfer to Arkansas State or wherever, right? And, and don't do much. I, I I agree. I like seeing a kid that you know you love the movie quotes, right? It's a little bit like in Pulp Fiction, right, where Marcellus tells, uh, you know, uh, Bruce Willis he's never going to throw the fight. It's like you know, on the night of the fight, you're gonna fi- you might feel a sting. He's like, that's just your pride screwing with you. And, and don't and don't let it don't let it yeah he's like screw he's like f pride right you know yeah, yeah and so it's like the same thing with these kids where you know maybe these some of these oklahoma kids you wanted an offer you know you want to be like the the, the tight end roberts from from washington you want to get an offer you know before you've played the final game of your sophomore high school season like that's that's really rare uh you know having an having an offer before you've even started your senior season, uh, before, the, before the should should be enough. Should be exciting if you're able to. Yeah. If you're able to, like, hey, I I have not even started my senior year of high school yet, and I've got a full ride offer to one of the top five football programs in the history of college football. I, I don't know. Again, don't let your pride get in the way. Of you know you framing this as somehow it was a slight because it didn't come three three weeks earlier three months earlier like you see it for what it is and like the opportunity take it go move forward
1: it's a big deal it's a huge deal especially on the offensive line uh, I mean again we've we've gone around and around on Bill's recruiting capabilities but we we're we have a much stronger opinion of Bill's development. Abilities, right? That generally speaking, Bill knows what he's doing in a talent evaluation proportion, and he knows how to develop kids. I mean, he has hit or misses as well, just like everyone else. Like
0: that's the thing, right? You 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 roll back off offensive lines probably the most difficult to
1: yeah. But I mean, you just look at Tyler Guyton, right? I mean, just I mean, you know, none of us knew who who that guy was in the portal. It's like, oh, we just got a tight end from TCU. You know, what is Bill doing? Is he crazy? And and now Tyler Guyton looks like, you know, $5 billion, $11 dollars. Billion, uh, and you know, and the pro and the senior ball guy thinks he's the best tackle in football. And, and Cole Kublik, uh, the SEC uh analyst who looks at the offensive line play quite a bit, he's also he's also it's like so he's also all over Guyton. He says, Yeah, that guy's so big, he does stuff somebody that big shouldn't be able to do. So so good pickup there. And then the second piece of news, which is, you know, which is to get back to your offers and film and how crazy things are, is on Saturday, Jaden Nickens is announcing his commitment and everyone thinks he's choosing OU. And, you know, we've talked about him on this podcast before. You and I both love him on film. Uh, you know, you've watched him as a basketball player. I haven't watched his basketball highlights because his, his wide receiver highlights were enough for me. He's good. Um he, he, but you know, exactly. He's 6'3", 180. You know, he looks he looked big at the Sooner Under the Stars event. He was like, okay, yeah, he's a bigger receiver. So when you think about the two guys they already have, if OU was to get Nickens, you've got a big receiver complement. The two, you know, Elijah Thomas is not a small guy, but he's he's 6'1", you know, 180, probably right right now, 175. And Grayson Harris is 5'9", 170, and he's never going to be a big guy. So if you can get Nickens, all of a sudden, that's a That's a nice complement in the group, right? You don't want too many of the same. You don't want all six-foot wide receivers. You don't want all six-foot-four wide receivers, right? You want a mix of body styles, complements, speeds, and abilities. And if you add Nickens to those other two, I mean, Nickens is a top 100-rated wide receiver for 2025. And the wide receiver pool early for those classes is always really tough because, you know, wide receiver, running back, Quarterback, those those skill positions tend to be easier to evaluate on sophomore film, right? I mean, it's the lines are tougher, linebackers are tougher, things like that. So, but you know, so for him to be that highly rated at wide receiver when there's already, you know, that that wide receiver pull is much easier to identify on film says quite a bit. So. We'll we'll go a little bit more into Did Nickens next week, hopefully if that comes OU's way. But the other thing, Caleb, that would be the third wide receiver in this class, and we're we're 16 months from signing day, and we know at least one other wide receiver that we've talked about in this pod several times. I've mentioned it on my um, recruiting five thoughts articles on our site. If you're not a member of our site, please subscribe. You'll see my written content over there, where I'm going into much further detail on on recruiting topics of the day, but we know Isaiah Mosey is floating out there and we know players like Andrew Marsh and Marcus Harris and Jakady Ferguson. I mean, it's it's crazy to be at three wide receivers, Caleb, with 16 months to go and you still have that kind of talent out there um, still interested in OU. I mean, it's a nice problem to have, but it's it's a little crazy.
0: It's funny you say that. I've seen people. I don't know if it was on, on our board or on social media. Even say like, "Hey, I love that Emmett is looking like he's maybe one of the best recruiters in the country." You know, if he develops like and it's continues to develop like he did it at Kansas and Texas Tech in particular. I I've I dug into that and it's you know the the depth of the rooms he developed and the depth like the number of guys. Is Was really impressive, so you know maybe he challenges for one of the being in the conversation with Heartline and uh, top two or three recruiters, wide receiver coaches in the country. But people were like, "Ah, are we are we loading up on too many top one hundred receivers or top fifty players too (laughs) early?" I was like, "Eh, "I don't think so." (laughs) You know, and it's just that's
1: a that's a that's a my wallet is too small for my hundreds kind of argument, right?
0: I mean, because the thing for me is. Like looking at Elijah Thomas and Nickens, like they're actually two really good examples. I think it's actually rare to some regards that the recruiting services have them ranked as highly as they are this early. Right. I think it, yeah. you know, given where they're from and how much developmental runway both of them have, you know, you look at Thomas and I think that's a guy that's going to be, I
1: mean, I really. Yeah, you and I are both are yeah. like, you're like this, this. If he, if he, develops like we think. He's fringe five-star territory. I think so. I mean, he
0: is just like, he's twitched up. He's got this frame that is just going to it's long, it's high cut. It's going to continue to just add lean mass. The way he moves, how explosive he is. Like, it's, you know, watch him it's like, man, it's like a, a healthy Chris Godwin type, you know, for the Bucks, right? When Brady guys, there remember him just ripping. Yeah, people. yeah. I yeah. mean, he's uh, he looks like an, a future NFL wide receiver. And I feel the same way about, like I mentioned, you know, Nickens, I'm watching him and I'm like, oh my gosh, watch him in basketball. And, uh, and you're thinking, well, that's that kid focuses on just basketball. I, I think he's got a higher ceiling than, than Keon Coleman, but it's, he's that type of player. I mean, he's going to be a, pr- well, if he starts focusing on football, he should be a prototypical six three, two 210 pound, you know, just outside guy that, is terror terror, terror with D- his D- with his leaping ability and ball skills and body control that you see on the court and you see it in football too. Like so you know, I just it's it's I have no qualms about them having those guys locked in now because yeah, it's not uh and not to take a shot at like a Theo Weese or a Jaden Hazelwood, but I think they're maybe the different example there in RJ Henderson. Was it was it RJ? Right. Like that's how you said it. was. I think that's how you said it. Yeah. That's how you said it. Spelled in a funky way.
1: Those A R J E I or something, something like that. that. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Those guys that to me were more examples of guys that were at like, you know, they played at big time high school programs, right? Or big time high school areas, Houston, uh, Atlanta, DFW. And they were these guys that as the sophomores in high school, They were as big and as fast and as strong and as quick and as explosive as they were ever going to be. Just about right. Right. They their their developmental runway. They had reached the end of it. And I think that's why they stuck out so much as sophomores and juniors in high school. That's not the case with with Nickens and and Thomas. Uh, And then you know was it Harris? I mean he's yeah. It's it's another like. Well, think again with him. Maybe you worry about because he's a big time baseball player. Uh, But it's just. Yeah, I have no no issue as well. But you know, you like
1: you kind of like the two sport athlete. You like the someone who's able to excel at multiple sports. I know oh, Bob I love, always, it. I love Stoops, it. Stoops always talked about like he saw Demarco dunking a basketball, and he was like, well, "We're offering that kid." And he's like, "I think he was I don't I think he was with Kale out in Vegas," and he's like, "We're offering that kid, right?" And Kale was like, "Well, I was going to," and he's like, "You know," and Demarco's just dunking the ball and just you know flying all over the basketball court, and Bob's like, "Yeah, let, let's let's do that." Yeah. So, but, yeah. so it's just it's a nice problem to have. The other thing I do think we may be seeing a little effect is, I'm not to knock Texas Tech, and I'm this is this we don't need to knock them. They beat OU last year. Tech has had good wide receivers, Michael Crabtree. You know they've had you know Wes Welker. You know, as um, Grant, yes, was uh was Jakeem Grant, and um, and obviously Azukuma, uh, the the older brother, Dozy's older older brother. So Tech's had a good wide receiver, you know, background, but. I also wonder, Caleb, if we're seeing the, the, the effect of Emmett Jones selling the OU brand, selling just a just a little higher brand of um, of, of college football. We saw this impact. We saw this a little bit with Bill Biedenbaugh was able to recruit, you know, slightly better offensive linemen after leaving West Virginia. Because he's like, well, I got a better brand to sell. It just gets me in the door everywhere.
0: Yeah. No, I mean... I- I think that's a hundred percent it. He talked about that, right? I mean, it, yeah. and no, my, again, my wife is a, is a red Raider and really so is her whole family, but it, it is uh, Reggie Pearson. He talked about that on his pod with Damien, right? Where he was like, it's a bit of culture shock getting, you know, being from Detroit, getting off the plane in Lubbock and being like, okay, this is different. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a rural area. Uh, but you know, being a, you know, Ou Texas is the biggest is one of the biggest events, if not the biggest event. You know, because it's been the biggest event since ninety six. Maybe is that when the Cowboys last played the Super Bowl? Uh, Every October (laughs) in Dallas, right? So I mean, it's you know for him to roll in there with an interlocking O and U and and, and be able to to push that and sell that.
1: Yeah, you've got a sense for that from his pot. He's like, it's just kind of different here a little bit. The championships, the titles, the expectations. So I think Emmett Jones is, is is enjoying that push that he has that gets him through doors and you know, two in-state kids um, helps obviously, but as we said before, in-state kids don't necessarily always fall up, you know, head over heels for the OU offer. So we got to give Emmett some credit you know, here.
0: Brent, Brent is selling a different, like set of he, he's got a different message with in-state kids. I don't know what it is exactly, but it's different.
1: It appears. And it's working and it's working. So, all right. So those are the positives. Okay. With the, with the light, we must discuss, you know, the negatives, the negative, the negatives going on right now because you know recruiting's flying around, so there's stuff going on. So first, Caden Durham, as we've been telling you on this podcast for about three weeks, went ahead and chose LSU. Um, he seemed to be indicating that being the feature back, the one back in the class, was kind of a big deal to him. Um, you know, OU got Taylor Tatum a couple of weeks ago. We've talked about that ad uh, That that. Tatum, we just think Tatum's a better back than a better overall back than Caden Durham. He may not be as fast on the track field, but uh, Tatum's not slow by any stretch of any use of that term. So, you know, so so Caleb, I think this is just an I I think this is just an impact where perhaps OU's focus slipped away from Durham a little bit after they got Tatum, trying to juggle the numbers in the class. We know they got Brandon Zerbrug the same time. You know, they made an offer to him and were able to fast track that offer and felt confident in their ability to get him once he got on campus. Uh, they're still chasing offensive and defensive line. We'll get into both of those in our next segment. So I, I just feel like, you know, a third, run, a third high school running back um, just, it became, la- you know, became less of a priority for OU and maybe Durham picked up on that and LSU was just like, you're, you're our number one guy. You're our only guy. And, and, and that message he liked the track program he liked lsu as well and that message maybe just kind of resonated uh resonated with him
0: yeah no i mean <laughs> we can get into a little bit like you like you mentioned if you're if you're on the board uh a part of the site i mean it's been something that a lot of folks kind of got you would they got almost upset at you to be honest with you when you deliver, yes, they did. The, they when did. you delivered the news we were you know toot, let's toot the horn here and Everybody else was saying for the last couple months, "Hey, it's you know Oklahoma's fighting for this. I think he's going to go to Oklahoma."
1: I I left him off my July prediction list, and everybody went crazy on. Yeah, I mean at the at the
0: time, everybody else was putting in crystal balls and predicting him to to Oklahoma. We had gotten word that that ship had potentially it, it like it was not likely to happen. And it was really, and I use this analogy when we were kind of all talking about this, whether it was on the board or you know here or, or wherever it was. And it, you know, if you're an NFL GM and you're trying to build a roster and you're putting together whether it's draft, or free agency, and you've got your big boards up there of your top graded players, top rated players, and then your positional needs, right? You know, and I love Matt Millen. But you cannot, you know, build a roster with nothing but like wide receivers, you know, and he, you know, it's what drafted three of them that were six, four, six, five, and, you know, 220 pounds and four, four, like, that's great. But, you know, you've got to have tackle, you've got to have tight end, you've got to have defensive tackle, defensive end, you've got to build this roster out. And so, yeah, I mean, it just, I think. Once Oklahoma got Tatum and once they knew like, hey, we're we're getting Tatum post his visit in Norman, it just became like, look, we've got two running backs and we 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 need to continue. And we to deliberately
1: build- took and we took Robinson deliberately because he's a bigger, yeah, more physical running back. He's a bigger frame than the other guys in our roster. So we're we're taking we're we're taking him purely because he gives us something different that neither Tatum nor Durham can do. I mean I mean Neither those guys can suddenly be six two, two hundred and forty pounds. Exactly. Exactly. Can't.
0: And then, and then I think the other the other piece of that to me that is a bit of a it's a wild card, and it's wild to think that Oklahoma and it looks like they might pull that off. But it's it's how Andy Bass, you know, potentially plays into that, right? As a preferred walk on, you know, and you're and again you're looking at Caden Durham. I think the world of him. I think he'll be a really good player. You know, five, nine, 180 pounds, run ten two five. Right. Well, Andy Bass, 5'11, 200 pounds, runs 10'5. You know, so it's not, I, I get it. 10'2'5 is faster than 10'5, but it's, it's faster than 10'5, just like 200 pounds of lean mass is heavier than 180 pounds of lean mass. So, you know, I mean, they're like, it's, you know, if Oklahoma was able to secure that, that type of thing, now you've also got the ability to say, hey, you know, Dan, Danny, you know, Okoye or Daniel uh, Akinkumi. Hey, we need we need a, an additional defensive end in this class. We need another offensive lineman that we can develop in this class. You know, and, and again, so you're now you're building a full roster as opposed to saying we're going to take a third running back that when you when you pair him with Robinson and you pair him with Tatum, to me it diminishes his impact because you don't have you're not going to be able to give him the ball. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, are you are going to get the ball, the kid, the ball thirty times a game? It's, you know, no, you're not going to be able to. There's only so many balls that can go around.
1: I know you got some. I know you with Reagan's with Brennan Thompson. They've they've got speed. So if if you've got some gadget stuff in your playbook, you, you've got you've got speed guys who can match Durham speed, or you know, are at least as fast as Durham. I well, mean, I mean, Thompson may t- be faster. T- Tatum so.
0: is, you know, and again, like you said, you know, Tatum is. Tatum is plenty fast enough as a running back to, you know, watch this film, right? To take it to the house. You know what I mean? He he can
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the other things he does at running back, I I like a little bit better, so. He
0: runs through, you know, I mentioned this, he, he just runs through trash, Great. Right?
1: Yeah. And he t- I mean, you don't see a lot of D- Durham's blocking and his highlights, you don't see a lot of Durham taking the the negative 3 yard play and getting 10 yards out of it. You see Tatum doing that all the time like, okay, how did he get out of that? I mean, there, there was you know, so all right. Well I think we have given uh Duncanville running back Caden Durham and, and potential future Bengal, bang bayou Bengal enough of our time on this podcast uh for this year, for this for seven seven months. Um again, Durham could have verbaled in March, April, or even at the barbecue and grabbed a spot. So every time you wait, the fluidity of OU's recruiting classes changes. So all right, so so, Caleb, a piece of news that I was a little disappointing to hear, but not probably totally unexpected. Kobe Black, the talented cornerback from Waco, put a top five out. OU wasn't on it. He did visit OU officially in June. Uh, we had gotten word that that there was a that OU had made some connections with his family and was maybe going to be in the, in the running there, but he listed the top five. It had A&M, LSU, uh, Bama. And um, big leader Texas on it, so I I may have missed a school there. But once kids drop OU, my my level of interest in their top fives and all that uh, wanes a little bit at this point because we got another. I got too much other stuff to keep track of. So could OU roll back on this? I guess, but until he, until he, until he, until he changes that. Uh you won't hear about Kobe Black on this uh podcast. So
0: yeah, uh, Kobe. I'm no, in mean, a-
1: oh, good good huh. luck. Good luck gonna Texas or ain't go to Bama or wherever you're going. Good luck with that. And um if you change your mind, we'll be more than happy to to feature you again on this podcast. But for right now, uh uh we'll play taps on the uh, our, our this podcast following of the Kobe Black story.
0: In years past, I would say I hope he goes to to Alabama just so Oklahoma can avoid playing him, and you know when they play Texas. But it's uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't, because whoever he's going, Oklahoma's probably going to play him, and he is—he's really,
1: really good. He's very talented. I mean, this is—you know—we're not going to knock the kid. He's very talented. If you know, we'll—we'll—you we'll, know—maybe this story bubbles back up, but for right now, we—I think it's pretty dead in the water. So uh, that's the two negative pieces of real negative pieces of news from the week. Obviously, Colin Simmons verbal to Texas. He's not been on the OU board since like January, so good luck, Colin. Enjoy Texas.
0: OU wasn't as high on him as all the were services yeah, are. Yeah,
1: you know. To be yeah, we, that's what our internal. That's what our internal sources were telling us was that OU wasn't. I, I think he. I think it's more of a fit. He's not a fit for what OU wants to do defensively. He's, that's, that's the best he's way to say a, it. He's a pure rush outside linebacker, three-four linebacker, and OU. That you know, OU as we're going to talk about in our next segment, wants big defensive ends. Um, uh, they want to run a 4-3. They want to have pass-rushing defensive ends and pass-rushing defensive tackles. So that's what OU's going for. So, um, so in, other, in other news, visit news, this is a little bit of a repeat, but just a confirmation. Daniel Ekinkumi is visiting OU for their first home game uh, the weekend of 9-2. He's also, as I mentioned before, got an Under Armour offer. He's been invited to that game. And Caleb, this week, he got a Miami, uh, the Miami Hurricanes went ahead and offered him. And while I have various mediocre opinions of uh, Cristobal as a game day coach, the guy knows offensive line, right? That's, that's pretty clear. I mean, he's, his background is offensive line. So for Miami to have offered uh, Daniel as well, I think is a real, indicates that teams are starting to pay attention to his talent level.
0: Yeah. No, no. Yeah. I I agree. I think, you know, he knows it he knows talent and he also understands like, Hey, you've got to sign a lot of these guys because, you know, it's difficult to evaluate them, you know, uh, for lots of reasons we've talked about, right. You're, you're, you know, again, you're, you're so many of the things you can get away with physically when you're playing against kids that are six, one and 205 pounds that are going to be doing what we do on Saturdays, which is watch it. And uh, suddenly the guy in front of you is Williams, when area just changes. Uh, so I bet mean, he, yeah, I, Mario Cristobal offering him is, uh, it, it does speak to everyone else that's starting to see the skill set and what the potential there is.
1: All right. Um, other piece of news uh, I'm going to have to give a little credit to Josh McQuistian over at Sooner Scoop. He put in a forecast indicating that he thinks that Nate Roberts the talented 2025 tight end from Washington Oklahoma who's verbal to Notre Dame uh might be thinking about flipping to Oklahoma it looks like uh, there's been lots of most social media stuff of Kevin Sperry and Elijah Thomas working out with working out with um Roberts uh right now um so maybe Kevin Sperry Maybe Joe John Finley's about to get about to get lucky again and have his quarterback in the class pull in an elite tight end for him. Um, obviously, Joe, I, if I meet you in person, I, I will retract all of these comments. Uh, you're the most fantastic tight end coach on the planet. Well,
0: hey, in fairness, and this is this holds true, right? Everyone, this has been your a program's best recruiters are its players.
1: They are. So, but just so let's just let's put a let's put a little of the hopium hat on, go into the hopium chamber. And if OU was to flip this, we think Nate Robertson, Devon Mitchell is the is a as a tight end duo for OU in the far far future would be that that would be that would be I would want to I'd want a coach to I'd want our offensive coordinator to start figuring out some double tight end formations, wouldn't you? It'd
0: be the most it'd be the most talented tight end room Oklahoma's ever had.
1: Would be the best since Jermaine Grisham and Joe John Finley, probably.
0: Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Like I. Yeah, same thing, right? Like I don't. This is all. Joe John had a cup of coffee in the NFL and hung around the Forty Nineers
1: and played. Yeah. It was a but he was a, he was really he was a really productive college tight end. I mean,
0: yeah, yes, really productive college tight end. More of a blocker, I think, in the NFL. Uh, more of that second, third tight end. Uh, Jermaine obviously made a Pro Bowl. I just you know to have the caliber of recruits with the receiving potential and really the all around all around game, right? Because uh, they're
1: physical. They're physical guys. This is not. This is not. Guys pretending to be wide receivers, yeah,
0: yeah, that's the thing, right? I mean, you could say like, "Hey, when when Oklahoma had you know Joe John, Jermaine, and Brody, that was this extremely talented." Yeah, tie-in Brody, Brody, Brody but, and
1: Germaine, were it was a that was a tough combo.
0: But you have to, you know, I would also you know say like, you know, Joe John was a was a good player all around. Brody was a dominant blocker. Not much you know, in terms of like a Oklahoma just didn't use him a lot there and you didn't see a lot from him as a receiver. And then Jermaine was an elite all-around player, but a much more elite receiver. I think with Davin and Nate, you'd have two guys that just you're talking about I don't know that either one of them singularly and of themselves is Jermaine Gresham. But I don't know that the the difference between, you know, what the tight end position asks what it needs, how you can excel there, and who those two guys are as players, right? You're you're talking about, you know, I think two guys with potential, you know, NFL uh, ability and, you know, NFL, I mean, really to have those two guys in the room together is, yeah, yeah, it would be, it would be wild to look at where the tight end room is right now. Like today, we know it's probably the biggest question mark on the team and then look at, hey, we may, we may turn that around and have, you know, uh, Devon Devon Mitchell and Nate Roberts our you know, same room and we're in the SEC. It's pretty
1: wild. Yep. So um, just a quick DB update. Um, Eli Bowen is down. I'm pretty sure he's down to OU in Texas. And it's looking like OU is going to win that battle as we kind of thought would happen. I think something's going to fall between now and OU's first game. Uh, On the opposite side of that, Michael Boganowski seems to be locked between OU and Kansas State. And there's no signs of a decision coming anytime soon. So we'll keep an eye on that. And then Devin Jordan, um, haven't got a we haven't gotten much of an update on him recently. Looks like OU, um, Bama, and A&M are kind of fighting there. And uh, I'd like to think Devon is gonna is gonna come to an early OU game and, and close that down and be the uh the big cornerback in that class. Uh if Boganowski keeps I mean last week Landon Cleveland indicated on his twitter that o u had offered him now I'm not sure if if that was um o u was really kind of- you know letting him know he was about to get an offer and please come to a game or something like that. I'm not really sure but i've I've looked at Landon's film and uh if boganowski keeps you know pushing out his time frame, I could see o u off you know making making a push for Landon Cleveland and on film, I really like him so well, and I know you've seen him on film too, Caleb. Uh, he he just looks like a really good center field safety to me. Good ball skills, physical. He he looks yeah, like he's got really good, good legs, good length, good af- good athlete. He just looks like what i have kind of been asking for OU to grab as a safety in this class.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think before we hopped on, I you know gave the comp like a Kenny Vaccaro is what it reminded yeah. me of because he is he's he's long, so you can, but he's and he's big, so I think he'd feel comfortable playing. him you know uh in the box but he's got really good ball skills and good range just looks like a really good all around safety uh yeah I, I i agree with you completely to me i've looked at boganowski and i've always thought like hey it's a it's a keenan clayton type sam backer you know that's a that's what he Which looks OU like has to has need
1: for oh you has a spot Absolutely. for right i mean so but it's just but but you know you just want to um I, you know, with a Michael Patterson McDonald and with Jaden Hardy, I just want one big, longer safety to complement those guys, right? Just, just as a to enter into the mix and as a compliment. So, uh, we're going to talk about just a couple of commitments here because we're going to talk a lot about the O line class coming, D line class coming up. So, two commitments coming up. Andy Bass, who we've talked about, um, is choosing on I believe eight twenty four. He's a preferred walk on running back for OU. Just like Gavin Freeman, we think he'll be on campus a short amount of time, and then OU will, you know, he will basically be able to earn his, his scholarship offer with just his play on the field. So, but that's OU's got a good p got a good preferred walk on program going right now. We've talked about that. We've talked about Andrew Henning. Um, I think is it Drew Batts. Um, yeah. Um, just just an um, uh you picked up a wide receiver, short wide receiver as well have been saying, oh, he's just got a good has a good NIL program that's enabling to bring in some players.
0: When when Brent when Brent was when he was hired, the first one they brought they reached out to and said, Hey, we want to bring you in as a walk on with the ability to earn a scholarship was Gavin Freeman. Right. And he had a he had a decent, you know, obviously first time he touched the ball he scored a touchdown. Uh, but in and then the hype train around that kid you know, both. It's crazy. Every, it's crazy. Everything you hear, it's like, hey, you know, don't know if he'll lead the, the team in receiving, but he might.
1: Yeah, he's doing well. So I think Andy Bass will be in the same category. And again, OU's doing a, I mean, OU got, uh, it's it, it Bergen Kaiser? Is that how you say his name? Yes. From Edmund Santa right. Fe, who's a, who's a, who's a good looking big athlete, could be a tight end, could be a, could be a defensive end. And he's walking on as well with the same understanding, right? I'm going to, I've got a good NIL walk-on program, and I'm. If I earn a scholarship, great. Um, I know you's gonna. I know he's gonna use them that way. I mean, it's. I
0: don't know if it's still committable, but I do know at a time Oklahoma State had had offered. Yeah. Bergen Kaiser.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and Tulsa did. I did. You know, Tulsa's Tulsa's killing OSU on in in-state recruiting. It's just kind of funny. <laughs> I don't yeah, know no. what Gundy. I mean, I don't know what Gundy's doing, but he's apparently not that interested in recruiting in-state kids because. Uh, a really talented kid, um, just, just a couple of really talented in-state kids have just committed to Tulsa. Uh, and, I don't, and I'm not sure even OSU is even out there even recruiting anybody. So I don't know. So And then the other guy we're tracking is Braden Platt. It's 9-4. Why is it 9-4? That's his mom's birthday. And he's down to Oregon to know you. And everyone's presuming Oregon based upon distance. And he's he's done track meets there. I think it's a 50-50 battle and, you know, everyone's no one knows what cuz he doesn't the guy the kid is like a like a black hole of communication. No one really gets interviews with him. He doesn't post anything on social media really. So until he commits to Oregon, I'm going to think OU has a chance there. I, just because of OU's linebacker history, Brent's linebacker history and uh and OU has not offered a single linebacker at all. Every other position we know of names that OU's considering, but at uh, middle linebacker, they're just they're, they've not offered a single kid. They have just stuck. They're just sticking with Platt. That's that's where I mean, they're going.
0: Lots of ways you can go there. You know, one could say, hey, they, and you know, uh, everything we've heard on from Sammy Masigo and out of uh, Lewis Carter is, you know,
1: and Phil Bacotti we, too,
0: and and Pichotti, right? But I think what we heard on those three was, hey, they are who we thought they were, right? To steal uh <laughs> a screen line, uh, but- You I, crowned, I the you crowned them,
1: Caleb. You crowned them, Caleb.
0: <laughs> you, you crowned their ass. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I agree on Platt. It's odd because I have seen, and people have set this on our board, you know, and I've heard people allude to it like, hey, it looks like this is trending to Oregon, but you hunt for, there's nothing he said. You hunt for any information off any other site saying, hey, we've talked to a high school coach or a friend and you, that doesn't exist. And Coming out of his trip to Oregon, it was, okay, the word that everybody had and the word that we got was, well, that didn't blow him away. Oregon thought they'd close it down, and so they came out going, okay, we're actually pretty concerned about Oklahoma. We thought we could close that off and, and, and get him locked in, and we didn't. I don't know. Uh, I, I think I'm with you. I think that's probably 50-50. I you know, these are interesting conversations. I always wonder, right. Does the Oregon move to the big 10? Is that any impact at all with Oklahoma? There is this difference where, okay, so, you know, regardless, you know, if I, again, military family, so maybe going to school in Norman's not that big of a deal, but you know, one of those pieces is right. If you're a track athlete, now your mates have gone from, you know, in the Northwest. So you're going to have some up there, right. But you're you know, you're going to the Penn Relays. You're going to Penn State. You're going to be going back east to places as well. If you go to the OU, like, hey, we're going to the Texas Relays. We're going to go to meets in in Arkansas. You know, LSU. It's 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 a different. It, it changes Georgia, that dynamic. Florida, Georgia, I mean, it's just Florida. You know, changes it a little bit. So, and I think we mentioned this before, right? All uh, Oregon is a is a running school. They are not known for throws. Whether that has any impact whatsoever, I know right now, at least a little bit of research I did. Oklahoma does have a better have better throwers right now right and Braden is a he, he does the throwing events but yeah fit, probably 50 50 maybe 51 49 Oregon I don't know but man that's uh that's one you really I do personally like he's one of my favorite recruits
1: and yeah, we're, we're you and I love this kid we're gonna hold on to him until he until he puts a duck hat on till he's quacking at his uh, at his at his announcement event or I think the kids just gonna throw something on you throw something on Twitter like I'm going here bye yeah thanks and we'll be like oh okay so, all right, well, that's, that's the news. That's all the news that sort of fit to print about recruiting right now. Uh, we're going to dive into our second segment here, which is sort of a little bit more of our in-deep analysis and discussion. So, Caleb, we've talked about him a couple of times. So can you just give me your your best two-minute uh, plug for why Josh Iasosa is a good pickup for OU, from your opinion?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I can, it's actually pretty straightforward. Uh... I mean, as a player the th- the couple of things that jump out right, and then posted some of the film that he did from camps, but he moves really well he's not he's not a lumbering kid, so he's fairly light on his feet he you know uh he's athletic he's a six four every bit of six four it looks like to me And in the picture you see with him next to bricks and 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 brooks and and that whole group right six four three hundred pound kid here's the big kicker. He's only played football for two years. So everything you're seeing again, we talk a lot about developmental runway, and projecting kids you know, what you did as a, as a sophomore, or as a junior in high school, it's, it's a really small part of the story, because what we care about is what you're going to be as a registered sophomore in college, which is a ways away, right? After working with guys like Bill and Schmidt or whomever, you know, whatever coach, whatever strength staff. So I think his developmental runway is fantastic on film, like he is. And, you know, I think, you know, Barry said the same, right? We both independently came back and we saw the film. We're like, I actually really like him. And other people were just hating on him. I was like, gosh, you know,
1: because yeah, you watch I mean, him- I mean, Yeah. Because Bill, it was it was the Bill Beaton Barrow, you know, oh, he's a B plan guy. He's got to suck. It's like, guys, just watch the film for just a minute. Just watch the film.
0: Yeah. Because when he comes off the ball, like one of the first things I noticed is like some of his down blocking, he's got He's got a lot of natural power. Maybe it's from wrestling through his hips. There's a natural snap, right? When he's down blocking, it's, you know, again, he's not a stiff guy in that regard. You know, and he, you know, roll his his hips on contact, blows some guys off the ball as an interior offensive lineman for, the the, you know, that mid zone, really inside zone type stuff. Oklahoma runs. It is such a good fit because you need your interior guards to be people movers that can get guys vertically off the ball. And that's what he can do you know, and again, like where I go and say, okay, like I get probably where he's ranked to some regard. I, I I think again, I go back to a lot of that is they haven't watched film. They haven't done any analysis. They haven't looked at him.
1: Well, I think, I mean, I give, to give Josh some credit for it. I know Josh has watched his film and Josh thinks he's a really good prospect. Right. And he knows, and he knows O-line guys. He's been watching O-line guys for 20 years. So he's actually looked at the kid, looked at the film. I'm sure if, if Josh was a guest on our show he would say he's a high 3 star low 4 star kind of potential guy
0: and that's exactly what i, I put him at you know uh for me and i think he knows this I, I think you said in an interview that he gave he 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 which this is like <laughs> kids from the 90s or late 80s knowing is half the battle gi joe right uh but here's the thing the only the issue that he struggles with it's his hands right and it's just when you guy that hasn't played football very long particularly in his pass sets some of it in his run blocking but you know he, he can move people where he struggles is he wants to wrap and he wants to grab he will drop his hands and he will not even lunge right he's doing the other stuff that you can tell he's been coached up to do right he's kick sliding he's staying back he's trying to stay balanced but when he goes to engage he wants to wrap and grab if he wants bill or whoever is the offensive line coach right it'll be bill cuz he's committed to OU. Just gets him in and starts getting him from a past perspective, like, you know, quit rapping, quit grabbing. We want to, you know, we want to jab, we want to use our hands in a different way. Okay. We want to have violent hands. If he can get that down, if he can get coached on that, develop that, learn that. He's going to be a really good player. I, th- I saw Josh's comp being Duke Robinson. It's funny enough because I would tell you, like the film you watched of Duke, he struggled with that. He naturally wanted to grab. He had a lot of holding penalties at Oklahoma. He naturally wanted to grab and grab. Yeah, you know yeah. if, but you know again, you get that developed out of the guy, and he should have some time to do it. A year, two years, whatever that is, he's got the potential to be a really good. I think he's got starter potential.
1: Yeah, the issue. Uh, 247 had a nice interview with him, you know, cause he, re- cause when he moved his data up, everybody got to do interviews with him, right? they not, everyone's not obsessed with Williams Winnery. So there was, you know, he got to do phone interviews and do interviews with folks. He was talking about his hand stuff specifically. I sent you, uh, I sent you a link to the interview and you saw it. It's like, he was talking, it's like, yeah, I, I when I got to work out with Bill, Bill's like your hand, you need to work on your hand placement. He's like, okay. So it's like, he already, he's already had it identified as, as an issue. So, you know, he he's already working on it. So. I think it's it's a good pickup. Again, it's another body. At some point, we just need we need high school offensive linemen in the mix to let Bill develop, and he's fits that perfectly. If he could enroll early, that would be even perfect. More, that'd be ideal for him. I'm not sure he can, uh, but if he could, that would be great. But it gives OU three offensive linemen. This is the Bill Donut is is now you know we filled half the donut. We you know we filled half the donut hole that that of offensive line uh, prospects for those that don't know on I, I, my five recruiting thoughts. I, I dubbed this the bill donut hole and everyone seemed to love that analogy. So I've had to stick with it, but OU's got three commitments. Now they've got three other offensive linemen in the mix right now. Grant bricks who everybody seems to think include, you know, on three has him as like the number two interior offensive lineman in the country. But I, I think you and I both think he could be an elite right tackle. Um, uh he's 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 down to OU Nebraska and K-State on some level. We know OU feels pretty confident right now our sources, if you're on our board, you've known this for about a week. Our OU sources feel pretty confident about where they are with Grant Bricks right now. So let's let's hope they're able to close that recruiting out this month. And then if you've also been on the OU board on our dot 360com board, you've known for a month that OU's made Eddie Pierre Louis a focus and uh the OU our sources say OU really likes their position with him as well. Uh, Eddie Pierre Louis is his family is Haitian. That Pierre Louis name is kind of a you know giveaway there. And um OU actually has um in Nick Basquin, uh who's on staff, he's apparently also Haitian. So OU has a has a connection there, been able to really work. Eddie Pierre-Louis. Some people had sort of written that recruiting off to UCF, but OU's back in it. And if you could get Bricks and Eddie Pierre Louis to close out this O-line class, uh you know, uh, I think a lot of people I'll be I'll be handing out some crow sandwiches and some crow pies on a, on our message board to some folks uh if Bill can close with those two guys cuz I think I think those that's two top 100 offensive linemen in the country and when you combine them with Brooks, uh, Autry and Isosa, that's that's five High school offensive linemen, that's that's a good group. Um, if you'd have told me that, oh, you was gonna get that group June first, I'd have been relatively happy with what was going on.
0: Yeah, no, I I completely I concur with you there, right? I think everything we've heard from sources is that uh from a you know, big board perspective, Oklahoma's Eddie Pierre Louis is, you know, the most talented uh, maybe the most you know, maybe the best, highest-rated offensive lineman on their board, just regardless of position, they think that highly of, and it's it's easy to see why you know six three and a half, maybe six you know six three and a half or somewhere in that range, three hundred and fifteen, three twenty, running like twelve something or was it sub twelve or you know
1: it was sub twelve? I think it was eleven. They're eleven. I
0: think. The, oh, they couldn't have been that fast, but I don't know what it was, right? It may have been like, it was like 11 9 or yeah, 11 12. But, well, but, but, but it was the like,
1: effort? The effort is what kills me. I mean, yeah. just watch him chugging down that line. It probably it's, was
0: about 11 9 because he's not getting, you know, blown out by anybody, but then he's also not running against anybody that's that's running nah. you know, 10 5. But nah. his athletic ability and I think how that translates, again, he's just a, a, a he can be a violent you know, mass mover. Uh, it's interesting. He, I didn't know that I didn't know until I think he posted it recently. Right. Or when he, maybe when he was offered that Oklahoma was his dream school posted yeah. a clip of him when yeah. he was, you know, 12 or 13 years old, you know, and he's saying like, you know, Oklahoma's my dream school. I love him. And so it's, I would, at this point, I'll actually be surprised if he doesn't end up a sooner simply because the talk always was UCF and now it shifted to Oregon, Oklahoma. And, you know, yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, I think you can read into NIL with Oregon as much as you'd like. So,
1: Well, OU has Lewis Carter and has connections with Tampa Catholic, with that coaching staff going back a number of years. Yeah. And those things do matter. So, and again, so the final offensive line targets, Daniel Aiken kumi he's visiting 9-2. I think his recruitment might get more interesting in the next couple of weeks before he makes it to Norman, if he gets some more offers of the Miami quality which I think is a distinct possibility since he got the Under Armour invite and, and that. So that might, get a little, that might get a little interesting. It might come down to if, if Daniel, you know, he's from England. I, I, I can be, I tell you from personal experience, moving from England to Oklahoma was, was a little bit of a culture shock. So uh, Daniel's been to the U.S. a number of times. You know, he's much older. But, you know, I, I still think there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a feeling out of, you know, do I feel comfortable here? Is this, is this where I want to go to America? And, and go to college in America. So I think that that's a little bit of an unknown variable out there uh, in terms of things. So that's O line. All right. The let's let's get into the depth of this of what we wanted to talk about in this class. Uh, the dream D line class update. So let's start with the name that every recruiting service podcast uh, has been talking about. Uh, It's reached, I, I, and my five thoughts on our, on our website, I I said that the, the, this, this recruiting battle had, had to quote the movie Spaceballs reached the ludicrous speed phase of it, that it's just gone. It's gone ridiculous. And to to, to tell you how bad it's gotten, some Missouri fan has just created a fake Parker Thune account to try and uh, indicate that Missouri's, you know, dominating this recruiting is, is back on top. I mean, you know, Parker's a good recruiting guy. He works really hard, but the fact he now has fake Missouri accounts just just shows the stupidity uh, and silliness level of this. Of this going. By the way, if you want to create a fake account for me, I believe Chris Masson, two and two S's is probably the the way to go. Uh, something along those lines. Uh, you know, just just if anybody's anybody's desiring to make a fake account for me, uh, double S double Chris. Usual spelling, double S and Mason is 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 my preferred uh, fake account choice. If anyone's out there, so um, and 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 Caleb um, would would request that you just put four M's in his name, so it would be just you know just keeps going and going and going. So Caleb, let's talk Williams Mm Winery. We've been pretty consistent on our site. We've posted updates. If you've been on our site, you know what we've been posting. That OU feels confident about this recruiting. And has done everything that they can um, from every every side of this recruiting battle uh, to to have a ledger that is just stronger overall than Missouri's. And that's been kind of your thought overall is that we've all been hearing that Missouri's putting a big NIL package together, and that's about it. Whereas the OU ledger is just so much deeper and longer. So let's just talk, just just talk, just. Let's just talk for a few minutes. Everything seems to have indicated lately that OU has made, made a push and Missouri's kind of losing momentum. That's what, that's what Parker Thune has been saying. Uh, that's what uh, several other websites have been saying. And we don't, we're don't we not saying that because our, our internal OU sources, we're not talking to the Winaries, but our OU sources are saying that OU's still confident and they like their message and they like where they are. And they've been in that, they've been in that boat for about three weeks. So just going to give you, Caleb, just a little bit. If, he, if he's choosing on Monday, we, we have got some plans to have some coverage around that. But let's just do a little bit of a, a quick preview. Just for our listeners who, who've, who've heard the name, heard the name, but we haven't really talked about the kids' play a lot lately. So let's just, so Caleb, can you, can just, can you give a little bit of how is Williams-Wanary different than P.J. Attawari? <sighs>
0: Okay. That's actually, you know, that's a interesting thing to look at, right? You know, I think the first thing that would probably jump out to me on that end is, you know, Williams is he's he's further along from a developmental standpoint. He's six five, maybe six five and a half, and he's two he's already two hundred and sixty pounds. You know, he is damn near already a prototypical NFL defensive end. Right, where, where PJ was this guy at six four, two hundred twenty five, two hundred thirty. He's right now two forty, 240, two forty five in high school. What you saw with him was this unbelievably twitched up, just you know, athlete. It's a ball of clay that you know you're gonna. Okay, we'll be able to develop this guy, and you the know, speed the speed time-
1: off the band, right? The band, the speed, the oh yeah. Just, I mean, he's just
0: I, like I've joked when I think last year when we when we first started doing this like it looks there's a clip of him at in the summer camp i think it whatever it was the used to be the opening or, or, you know when everyone kind of got wind of him when it originally right, right. came like hey who is this and i think oklahoma fans already knew because he you know was close to committing but you watched him go through bags and to me it almost looked comical because it looked like somebody had injected like they'd gone in cut his achilles tendon open
1: it was a future 50 event in tampa right maybe yeah yeah that, that that that's what right. it was yeah,
0: and, and I, it, it's like they had gone in. I
1: know the national guys were like, "Hey, who's this NFL? Who's this NFL defensive end who showed up at our camp?"
0: Well, that's why I was saying, you know, it looks like they had gone in and surgically planted springs into his Achilles tendons. Like as he's running through the bags, it almost looks like he's bounding because he's just so twitchy and explosive. But yeah, you know, with him, you know, you're looking at a guy that he's just scratching the surface of what he's going to be, and you know, you know, you're gonna at in the end of the day, you're going to have a six-four, two hundred and sixty pound, you know, freaky, twitched up guy on the edge that's going to be able to win with speed, win with power, and he's going to develop those moves. And the thing is with William, you know, what you've kind of got, you've already got that in some regards. You know, the thing that sticks out, you know, on his film is kind of how easy football is for him. Whether he's what well, it doesn't matter. He playing a four eye inside, you know, and he's going to he's going to slant inside and beat a guard or he's going to play head up on a tackle or he's playing a 7 and he's he's shaded to the outside it doesn't matter where he's lined up it's just really easy he knows how to use his length he's just he's already a bit stronger uh you know you're getting not a finished product you know but uh probably that would be my difference right with william there's a little bit less projection than there was right. with pj with pj you're like okay everything is there for him to be you know uh it's funny. I've seen people throw out uh gosh, what is the the defensive end that from USF that went to uh the Giants, blew his fingers off. Jason and, Jason Pierre Paul. Yeah, I've seen people compare Naweri to Jason Pierre Paul. I actually think that's a bad comp. I think it's okay. a horrible comp. Uh because I would compare uh PJ to Jason Pierre Paul. Because Jason Pierre Paul two hundred 6'6, 260 pound guy doing hand, you know, backhand springs that had never really played football. He was just this twitched up, freaky athlete that could beat everybody off the edge. I think PJ's more that. I think that, you know, uh, Williams is, is more of a guy where, you know. Chase Young,
1: do you like to chase Young?
0: Come. I was going to say Chase Young. I. Some regards, I hate using Chase Young because Chase Young's NFL career is is teetering on bust. You know, there's talk of the commanders need to trade him because he doesn't like to work.
1: But, but at Ohio he was, State, he was
0: a freak. He was a, yeah. And that's what I, I think. That's what William is. I think he's a guy that shows up on campus. At, he's going to be 6'5, 265, 270 with, you know, the ability to win on the edge every way you want somebody to win. You can get the edge against elite tackles. He's got, you know, uh, great pad level. He's got a natural bend to him. He's just, uh, he's just, he's further along, more polished. I think that's probably why PJ was ten, was hidden for a while, was hidden for a while, yeah. for a while. Yeah. and and there's no hiding,
1: you know. And right. whenever he's been been number one, number one defense end since like January, yeah. PJ, I mean, PJ didn't really rise in the rankings until that Future Fifty event, and then people saw his senior year. He was, I mean, he was like. Top one hundred on rivals when he verbaled o u in, yeah. in July of that year, but when Arie's just you know a little further along all right so that's when air we're expecting a decision monday right i mean this thing's weird it could go any number of directions if he chooses o u which we think we think he might mu- he probably is going to do we're going to try and have some uh, we're going to try and have some uh, some content for you guys uh, right after that commitment if we 're able to get our schedules together uh the next guy is obviously David Stone. That's 826. We're planning to have he's going to be announcing during or around his football game that's going to be on ESPN2 that day. We're also working on some plans for that cuz we really like where OU is with with David Stone. He seems to be he seems to be actively recruiting for OU. The Jaden Jackson commitment was kind of the giveaway there a little bit. I mean, he convinces Jaden Jackson to go to, to go to Oklahoma and he's not going to follow him at OU. That seems a little bad doesn't quite seem to form. Uh, then we got some some actually got some updates on Dominic McKinley. He's supposedly choosing on nine one now, and this is starting to look like a okay. So the you can't pull a defensive tackle out of Louisiana storyline is starting to lose a little credibility. Starting to look like this may be an OU Texas battle, which actually our readers know that we we talked about that back in June at the. That's the word:
0: Yeah, that was the word we got back in June, and we put, it, we put it on the board. So
1: if you're on our site, you've known this for about six weeks. So it looks like that's kind of a battle there. You know, to, to a certain degree, Caleb, I haven't let us indulge in the in the fantasy of Dominic McKinley being a sooner. So we know David Stone. We've talked about David Stone for like years. He's so well known. But McKinley is, you know, we've kind of been like, "Well, wow, this is great guy who could be a sooner," but we're not going to talk about him because we won't let, because we're not going to, we're not going to take that heartbreak. We're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to dream here. Well, we're in the middle of the dream class. FOU could beat Texas and LSU for this kid. What what would they be getting in Dominic McKinley?
0: Oh God, I don't want to put this out there because. Well, you know, first I would say like the news already is out there, right?
1: Let's just talk. About what, what is he? What is he as a prospect, regardless of where he goes? Okay, let's just frame it that way.
0: Well, I, I hate even I hate saying this because I I can't understand. I have it. I'm actually having somewhat of a difficult time. With you know, so LSU's defensive line coach, uh, which they slow played him a little bit. Apparently, he didn't connect there, and then their defensive line coach. I don't know if it's been health issues or what is going on there, but
1: he's had some health issues, and they lost Jamar Cain. Jamar Cain was supposed to pick up his recruiting. He left to the Broncos in, in in the dead period in February, or right around their spring game, and then LSU's wanted. They hired the South Carolina defensive line coach, and they was so like, and he he didn't come on board quickly. There was something about you know hiring process and all that. So he didn't come aboard until like May 1st. And now he's had like a, you know, you know, you know, he's, he's had an illness. I, we wouldn't want to I mean, we just hope the guy's healthy. We hope his family, you know, he's got a family. We hope he's doing well. Apparently he's out of the hospital. Uh, we just hope he's doing well. Don't wish I'm not, I'm not going to speculate on this call. We have no idea what's going on with him. And I wouldn't want to speculate about anybody's health background in a in a format like this. He's let's just hope he gets back. Let's hope he's healthy. But so he's back with his family and he's recovering. But it clearly, it's clearly disrupted LSU's D-line. LSU's D-line recruiting for the first six months of this year has been kind of a discoordinated mess.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, it's hard on them. Uh, to me, like, it's interesting because everything you get on him, like his personality, his mom, his, you know, his involvement, uh, kind of just everything. That you know, you're able to piece together even through interviews and then to hear it's come down to Oklahoma and Texas is confusing to some regards because, you know, Austin, very different, right, than Norman. Uh, And then not only that, like Todd Bates and Bo Davis – Polar opposites, I mean Bo Davis is a guy that he had to leave college coaching because he got a show cause right from the NCAA for doing some illegal like nefarious things like he this is you know it's it's out there right he had to leave. They appealed it and NCAA said no like you're a dirty you're a dirty dude, go leave and he went and, and did some things in the NFL and then he made his way back to college and that's who's recruiting
1: him at Texas uh and he's been all over the place too he's like a hopper he's a job hopper.
0: He has, yeah. He's been all over the place, and it's, uh, you know, for, I like
1: Todd Bates, who who appears to be, you know, yeah. you know, had the had the Clemson job, and, and, and
0: Bates just recruits very differently,
1: you know, uh, obviously,
0: <laughs> right? So it's weird to me that's come down between those two guys, but this is what I think of him as a prospect. I think he's as good as a defensive line prospect, interior, as seen in a long time, and I. I, I hate saying what I'm about to say because, one, I wouldn't ever want to upset David Stone. And then if McKinley goes to Texas, like be like, oh, look at that! I, I as a prospect, as a as a recruit, I, I his his ceiling, what he could be, his potential is to me is is above even of a David Stone. He has got, I mean. He's got the potential to be a top ten, top five pick in the NFL draft. Like he is, you know, when you look at him on the hoof, what he is physically, how well he moves, how well he naturally bends at the knee and at the hip, what he can do there. And he's already really pretty good at, you know, just playing. He's got great length, but he you see him naturally already utilizing that. If you're able to get him under a guy like Bates that who is, you know, a very is technical a great te- technical G line
1: teacher, he's a top five guy. Yeah. Easy. You know.
0: Yeah. I think Bo Davis is fantastic at telling people what they want to hear and then doing some funky things behind, you know, the closed doors to make sure that they show up there. And I say that strictly because he earned that reputation by his past and what he did. So maybe that's a, maybe that's a dick thing to say, but you know, you earn, you earn it, you're going to get it. Uh, yeah, I, I would say like my competent, you know, he hasn't done a lot in college, but it was Mason Smith, the defensive tackle that's at LSU that looks like a, I don't know, like a, Freaking transformer when he runs out there, uh, you know. But
1: I think McKinley's. Well, let me throw a. Let me throw a. Because the one thing about McKinley's is his length is kind of is is kind of different for a defensive tackle, right? So let me throw a. Let me throw an odd comp at you. What about John Henderson, the tall defensive tackle from Tennessee back in the day?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I. Yeah, yeah I can think of like Henderson and yep. Stroud slapping each other. Uh, yeah. No, I mean. It's not a not a bad one. The only thing I think is I think that uh and it's probably more of a, a byproduct of that time and how guys were trained and how the game was played. It was played, you know, heavy personnel, like two tight ends, three yeah. tight ends, a fullback. It was he was I think McKinley moves better laterally than what like than what Stroud or Henderson or those guys did. But yes, I do think he's that type of player. He is that if you paired him with a David Stone and said we're gonna play you at nose and, and you at three, I mean, I don't know. Like your like your dream defensive line class has the potential to have uh and I think the same way about, you know, Danny. I think Danny's a comp I would give for for a Okoye would be like a a Josh Allen, which right, right, not right. the quarterback for Buffalo, but the outside linebacker defensive end for the Jags that played at Kentucky. He's that type of, you know, and he's more unique. He's a bit more of a hybrid, probably, with like Allen is. But you talking to guys with all with you know first, second round, early, early round NFL
1: potential. So Danny Okoye is supposed to visit on nine one. Uh, he's then supposed to have a visit, I think, to Tennessee after that. I, I, I just wonder. I just wonder. I, I have a suspicion that his time frame might get compressed a little bit if he has a really good visit to OU. Apparently, had a great party at the palace weekend. Really bonded with Davin Mitchell. Um. Apparently, they were in some sort of dunk contest, which I would pay video to see. Um. So if if akoye has a great visit to OU, I just kind of wonder if maybe the the wheels and the motion of that recruiting him being to, him 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 being at, him being in Norman and nowhere else twice in six weeks might just move things a little forward there. So and then we know we know how much you love Danny Okoye. Um. Let's give it. Let's give Nigel Smith a little love because. He's he's committing on nine eight. It looks like it's going to be the Sooners. We gave him. A, he has a great interview with Nigel on a YouTube that I did back in the back in the spring. Um, give give me a little bit on Nigel Smith because we have because he's kind of the forgotten guy a little bit. After when and, and if if you could be forgotten when you're a top one hundred top one twenty five defensive end uh, in the country, if you could be a forgotten guy, um, he's gotten a little bit forgotten with the with the burst on a OU oh you going from nowhere to having a chance to Koye and and behind you know three guys who are the top three three guys who are probably you know some of the top you know well winner and stone are top 10 players of the nation david stone's right outside top 5 at like top 6 so poor nigel smith at only 125 who would have been like a star in previous d line classes he would be like the guy we would be like giving all of our attention to just we Haven't talked about him in a while. Can you just give Nigel a little love and, and talk, a, talk a little Nigel for me?
0: Yeah, you summed it up really well. I feel almost horrible for him.
1: But he's doing the apparently, apparently, he's like all in with OU talking to guys just to, you know. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's he's, he's I, mean, I mean, he's a, he's a, he, I mean, he's 6'5, 265, and we're like ignoring him.
0: I, I, so I would say, like, he's trying to think how to say, like, how you know, maybe what I think from a value perspective. Uh, I can make you. I think you could make a case that at 125, he's undervalued for the way the game is played today because of t- teams playing so much three three down, and you have to right. I know, and we all kind of go back and forth on that. Uh, just because you know, we know Eric- Brent.
1: Brent traditionally wants to run a four. He wants to run a four man line, right?
0: Well, the problem, you know, and I was going say there is like. If football was played the same way it was played even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you can run four down more because against some teams, how how they want to attack you, you can't. But so many teams now, they want to spread you out and they want to use a quick passing game in lieu of a run game. They want to throw quick screens and tunnel stuff and perimeter game at you nonstop and just dink and dunk you, right? And if you go four down, like you're doing a disservice to yourself. You need to get more guys that can run laterally and and play. And then not only run laterally, like what Ohio State State has done a great job of is you then you have all these back-end defenders in those lanes. And it's funny, once you do that, that three-man rush gets home a lot. And I think Nigel brings so much versatility with his ability to play – at a high level in either scheme, if you want to say, hey, we're going to play you at strong side defensive end in a four down, I think the guy can excel. If you say, hey, we want you to come in and try to get 285, you know, maybe be a little bit bigger and we want you to play a three technique. Uh, particularly wreak havoc in some NASCAR packages. I think he would absolutely excel. And if you say like, "Hey, just grow to what you grow in," and we want you to be an edge player, defensive end, right? In a in a lot of these three down looks, we've got. I think you've got a guy that's going to be in a fantastic player in that. So he d- he does. He gets pushed down simply because you know you could say that like McKinley Stone and the Wary are all somewhere inside the top twenty to twenty five players yeah. in the country you know or let me say that prospects i wouldn't say players they have got to you know differentiate regardless them, like, of position they're right?
1: they so, just you know yeah i mean that's where they are
0: yeah but yeah if if nigel smith ends up a sooner to me you know he is if all of these guys you know if the if that if you know smith Okoye, mckinley stone nwary all end up sooner's you know nigel smith he's not a second option right it is 1a 1b he's because he does, he brings so much scheme versatility, and uh, that's incredible. You know, the,
1: the comp I like uh, ever since I've watched his his film is I kind of like Frank Alexander as a comp, similar body size.
0: I can see that. I think Nigel's got like, yeah, I think Nigel's got a better. I think Nigel's that's got quite, a better but,
1: base too. But oh, you was able to play Frank a little bit inside, a little bit outside. And Frank was Frank was a really good, really good defensive lineman. Had more than a cup of coffee in the NFL. I mean, if you if That's a really if you given me, you know, I'd, I'd have killed for Frank Alexander and some of the some of our recent defensive line was.
0: <laughs> that yeah, no kidding, right? Like, uh, I, I we've joked a little bit because there's been so much talk.
1: Like last year, I would have loved Frank Alexander manning the edge. You know, most of the season.
0: Well, you know, there's. There's been so much talk about, you know, some of the notes we've had coming out of camp and we've got on with the and and Justin Harrington and some other folks say, I don't know where they're getting some of their stuff. I know where ours is coming from, you know, but notion being like, Hey, how do both of these guys play cheetah? Is one going to play more salmon Will? And you should go to our site. You should, you should read the notes because, you know, I think we've got better intel there, but you know, I go back to like 2011, you mentioned it right there. Like what could, you know, a Nigel Smith do like, you know, funny enough, Oklahoma ran a lot of three, three, five in 2011 and their personnel, when they would do that, it, I remember thinking back, how is this going to work? Their ends were Ronell Lewis and and Frank Alexander. Right. And that's who they're playing on the edge all in, in those, you know, and, uh, they're, Sam linebacker, they would insert Corey Nelson because he could blitz and was he was fantastic at it, you know. So, uh, yeah, I just think that that's a you know, again, where you, you would say, like, hey, Dasan plays that Corey Nelson, Tony Jefferson played the droid back at that time, which would be more of Justin Harrington. Again, just goes into like so his value gets pushed up to me because of his versatility, but I just
1: think he gets downgraded a little bit because he's a harder avowal. Right, because you're like, well, I'm not quite sure. It, you know, sometimes, 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 guys who are versatile can get can get tagged with like a tweener label. Well, he's not big enough to play, you know, defensive tackle, and he's not fast enough to be a blitzing edge. It's like, yeah, but he's, you know, but yeah, but I can play him either way. He could stay on the field every. He would stay on the field against old old defense, old offenses we, we're facing. So yeah, how how is his versatility of? um A weakness, but I think sometimes that can happen. Like you know, like I think. Well, I'm not quite sure he's a defensive tackle. You know, I
0: yeah, I think one of the, you know what, you hit on something there. I think that happens a lot because everyone, when you're looking at, and we do this here, right? You want to take a player and you want to project them out. So give me a comp. So to get that comp for who you want to compare him to, you go back and you 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 move back in time. Everybody does NFL draft. They you know, everyone. I'm like, hey. Yeah, here's my comp for the guy. Well, you're going back, you know, when, again, offenses were run a little bit differently. So you're going back to like, oh, well, you know, this guy didn't really work. It's like, well, okay. But I want to look at how he projects moving forward. And so much of what you see defense today, there's a lot of, at least in that front seven, especially, right? And then that third safety, it's a little bit positionless. You know, it's these guys that are all these hybrid linebackers, hybrid safeties, hybrid D linemen.
1: Like the the Baylor guy, Petrie, right? Who 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 was had such a great Jalen Petrie. Yeah, he was who great. had such a great year, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's also a little bit um, you know, it's we've been if you've been following anything about OU's summer camp, you know the word competitive depth is like, you know, on a bingo card, you know, for for the Brent press conference, right? You know, how many times is he gonna say competitive depth, you know, in a fifteen minute interview and it's like I like think it's averaging like five or six at this point. But I think one thing that we're, you know, in our notes, especially in our notes that we've been putting out there is is situational depth too, right? Yeah. The ability to the ability to go to to the ability fourth quarter to be able to have fresh pass rushing legs and to you know and to go with a three, three, five look, right? And and to have, you know, um Barry just did a great evaluation on trace forward and say, well, trace forward can be like your you can give a four-three, you give a four-downman look, downman look. go three, he can stand up, he can drop back, you can do all of these things, you know, in the fourth quarter when teams are just maybe one-dimensional, try to catch up, you know, 10 points down or something like that. Uh, and I just could see Nigel Smith being, you know, okay, uh, let's just leave, you know, Nigel's got fresh legs, we can leave him out there, we can do all, we can stunt, he can do all kinds of different things. And, uh... You know, and this is ignoring the fact that you know he just potentially could end up just being a great, a really freaking great defensive end.
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely would not say he's going to be this guy,
1: right? I'm not.
0: Yeah. I'm, let me preface it with that, but I can remember when when Cam Jordan came out of Cal, and I'm right. like his run up to the draft, and same thing, he was six four and a half, six whatever, right, two hundred eighty five, two hundred eighty seven pounds. You know, ran four eight. Whatever that was, and that was like, well, what is he? Is he a strong side defensive end and a four down? Is he a, and is that going to work in the NFL today, when we throw it so much? Is he a three four defensive lineman? What is he? I, like, I don't know, but I can fast forward like a decade later, and he's like one of the best defensive players in the NFL, right?
1: Like can there's well. He's been his pro balls, and he's got he's on his third contra- third contract, and he's yeah, yeah, I can,
0: yeah, I can see what I what I what I can see is. Just a disruptive defensive lineman. Whether you, whatever you want to label him as a this or a that, what I see is a disruptive defensive lineman, and that's what I think Nigel is. He's a he's a disruptive player with his hand on the ground.
1: Well, the last thing to talk about in this in this dream D line class is kind of an interesting name because uh, of his connections with the University of Texas. It's Zena Um, He's also interesting because he's probably like. We think Danny Okoye is like 245 right now, right? That's what he's been telling folks. That's what he's posted on Twitter. It, that's what he's been posting, yeah. So we think Xena is what, like 215, 220? Maybe.
0: Probably. I mean, he's probably, too, he's probably 220. He's probably 220. Something you know. like that. But the thing is. So he's, he's,
1: the, he's the smallest of the guys, but he's got a long frame. Oh, yeah.
0: I was fixing to say, like, his frame. Almost, I just in some ways, I just want to see him go to like whoever has the best strength and conditioning and the best uh, nutrition staff in the country. I, he's like this little freak. I just want to see end up there because I just want to see yeah. what he turns into. Like, does he turn into like uh, Alden Smith? Does he, you know, just grow yeah, from yeah. you know two twenty to two sixty five and just you know, yeah, look like a somebody you created in a lab? He's got he's got a really really unique frame.
1: So he's. He went to Texas A&M's event at the end of uh, July. So he's obviously, his brother plays at Texas. His brother's probably going to start. If he doesn't start this year, I think he's probably on track to maybe start next year at either tackle or guard. Uh, Really good player out of high school. Really wish OU could have closed on him. But that was the the Lincoln-Riley-Brent transition. So OU didn't quite have their ducks in a row to kind of close out that recruiting. And Texas did. Credit to them. So he's in the. He, I think Caleb' his time frame is probably the longest. So, because uh, there's no notes, no nothing about him say, is screaming. I'm about to make a choice, or I'm about to reduce. You know, move up my time frame. So, um, if OU were to perhaps, I mean, we've rattled off six names. If OU got four of these names with the two guys they already have committed in Jaden Jackson and Wyatt Gilmore. One nose guard, one defensive end uh if it's going to be interesting to see if if class size wise, and if if OU got four of these guys, I mean that would be of the names I just mentioned, that would be you know phenomenal. You'd be like, okay, um, you know, would you still and and I know Zena's highly rated he's he's got lots of potential. I could just see OU being a little bit like you know. We're, we're at 27 28 verbals we just we're going to stand pat we, you know we're, we're going to stand pat you know just cuz we've been as successful as we as as we we thought we could be at the line so let's just stand pat maybe save a ship and we can get a couple of players like Xena in 2025 and CJ Nixon, Jaden Woods, Alex Shield Knight we can get a kind of an edge you know, a smaller uh, an edge guy that we an edge guy fast edge guy, uh, we can pick up those guys in twenty twenty five. So it'll be interesting. But uh, you know, uh, again, but if he he might want to just be he might just want to go do something different, not play with his brother and and choose OU. So it's it's a fascinating story. It can only get can it can only get more interesting if OU and Texas are you know have a great game in Dallas and are maybe cruising towards a rematch. Uh, that recruiting battle could get could get really. Very interesting, very fast.
0: Nope. I, I uh I think I think you hit it right there. to me, how all of that kind of shakes out is very much dependent upon what I think you probably think about 2025. Because I would part of me would say, Hey, if you can land all those kids, go do that. Because no team has ever said we've got too many pass rushers, like we've got too many really good edge defensive players. Like no team's ever said that. And Oklahoma needs to add guys there. But, you know, in the day and age of I can re- I can transfer anytime I want, uh, you also what you don't want to do is go out. I mean, and look take at
1: the a, big the big A and M defensive line class, right? I mean, they're already yes. starting to lose play. They they oversigned at D line and they've already starting to lose kids from that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that it's you know, and it's just natural, right? Like uh the the Lucas kid from Arizona, you know, he goes in and he watches Levius Overton and he watches Walter No one, two other kids that came in same year as him. They're already in front of you and they're playing as true freshmen. You're not really playing very much, and you go like, you know what? That's great. I can go somewhere else. I can play right now and I can be the starter. I don't have to be third team here. I can go start, and and USC will give me money to do it because they're on a condensed timeline trying to buy a championship. So I'll go. Immediately, and yeah, I right. think you probably you know, you you kind of hit it with like C.J. Nixon to me, like in Shield Knight. those are probably where you say, "Hey, I to me, I want to take Danny Akoye, you know, because he's an in-state, he's a Tulsa kid, and you just want those guys in the program,
1: uh right?" So At OU OU has him high so highly rated too. They, yes, they have him on a tier and a tier similar to. McKinley with Arian Stone. I mean, that's what our turtle sources tell us.
0: And just like where I think Nigel Smith gives you some scheme versatility where Nigel's going to be, his hand stat is always on the ground. I think that Danny, he's athletic enough. I really think in some of the 3-3-5 stuff, if you play him as an off ball, is that Sam? He's still going to be blitzing. He's going to be a move guy though, right? He's plenty athletic enough to run around and do that. He's more of a hybrid in that way. Uh, But yeah, I think you yeah, you say, hey, look, like what we don't want to do is oversign so many kids that we then have to ignore Nixon or Shield Knight throughout the recruitment, and then when it hits December and they're signing wherever they're going to go, you're transferring, and we're left in the lurch. So, yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, because at some point, I mean, it just becomes. I mean, I know OU's losing a lot of upperclassmen defensive line. Right, there's a lot of people who could not be on the roster next year. Yes, right. And the numbers numbers close to nine, I think, between defensive end and defensive tackle, just with the number, just with the, you know, with the Reggie Grimes and, and you know, and Paella and even DeJong Terry could leave. So you, you just, you want to bring in guys and, you know, we're also kind of forgetting that OU has, uh, is it Danny Sa- Saia, the big Juco nose guard?
0: That's right. That is. Yeah. He's been,
1: So he's, yeah. he's, and apparently according to reports, he's considering sitting out this year and to save a year of eligibility.
0: Yeah. So what that we've heard, right, is he's gonna potentially he's just gonna, gonna, you know, he's gonna get a trainer or I don't know if that means Oklahoma is gonna send that trainer the the workout, so to speak, behind the you secret know I mean? the
1: secret Schmitty Bible or whatever. Yeah,
0: like, hey look, take a take a picture of this. This might be what we would have him do if I were you. But and I think he's to me he's actually a really important guy too. You know, I mean, yeah, even if Situationally. Oklahoma, situationally, well, right? Again. Going into, yeah. Again, you're going into the SEC and you
1: yeah. Yeah. Because you could play, because with the personnel you has, oh, you could play a classic five man front.
0: Well, the thing is too, like, I mean, even more than just a five man front, I, I just think my mind goes to you know twenty twenty four, and you you're playing LSU and you're playing Alabama, you know, and what I, you know, again, I think the world of David Stone, and I think the world of you know Dominic McKinley. I think they're both top twenty, you know, top fifteen players in the country, but. What you don't want you, to do year is, one.
1: That's a tough ass. That's
0: a tough ass to roll in. You know, Alabama rolls into Norman, and you look at David Stone and Dominic McKinley and say, "Okay, you you two run out there." I, I'd much rather have a you know a kid like you know uh, Sa- uh Well, I'll leave you the last name to you, but you know he's three four Sa-E. Years, Sa-E, You know he's three years removed from high school. He's played JC ball at a really high level, and you can say, "Hey, you know." Like, you you've you've played against some of these kids. I mean some of these guys that were at you know at Butler or at Garden City, they're gonna be on these uh, you know, on, you know, Georgia, Alabama, Kentucky, whatever it is, right? Hey, you played against some of these kids. We we feel really comfortable rolling with you. And and you know, and situationally, we'll we'll throw David in, right? Situationally, we'll throw, you know, Dominic McKinley in it and we'll let
1: Yeah. I mean, you're playing with, you know, hopefully you'll have, you know, Kelvin Gilliam will have a good year. You know, players like Ashton Sanders and Marcus Strong will start, you know, will be off their Fred shirt years and be able to contribute. Um, Grayson Halton. So, you know, you can sprinkle in Stone and McKinley without doing the, you know, without doing the Dusty Tommy thing where they're like, hey, uh, you guys uh, go start together. Oh, okay. And and that worked, but it was was crazy that it, I mean, it was crazy that they pulled it off. Well, I think what you
0: hopefully want is you're in a position where you don't have to do that. And if, yeah. you, if in a perfect world, Oklahoma signs all those guys and and, Dom, Dom and McKinley and Stone come in and they are the best players, then you feel great. You're like, hey, look, you're going to yeah. be here three years and you're going to be a first round pick. So, yeah, you earned it. You're the best. Get out there and do it.
1: Yeah. I mean, and David, David at IMG, I think, is probably going to be as well prepared. He plans on enrolling early from everything I've heard. He'll be as well prepared, I think, as a high school defensive lineman can be. Uh, After yeah. playing IMG, at IMG for two years, but let's hope you get um, some. So that's our. So we're in the. We were in the Hopium cha- chamber there for a little while. I know a lot of Sooner fans are like, "There's no way you can sign this class." But the dream's still alive. Monday, we the first part of the dream hopefully happens. Uh, then we got David Stone two weeks. Uh, two weeks uh, from uh, from from Saturday. Uh, then we'll hopefully hear about a McKinley announcement and a ceremony or something. Uh, and then we got then we got Nigel Smith coming on nine eight, and we're really pretty confident about Nigel uh, being a sooner. Um, so you know, he, just because uh, uh, he's been just so solid with OU for just so long, and uh, from that standpoint. So, so Caleb, I think I think that's a high point to end right there. Uh, we've talked about the whole D line class, we've given a good 30 minutes of discussion for that, for all of our obsessed fans about that and everything going on. Um, anything else you got from a recruiting standpoint? You wanna, you wanna end on?
0: No, like I, I joke, right? It's it is absolutely come down to nut cutting time, right? It is. You, you've got it is the you know, uh, and I said this, you know, in our just in our text group, I joked about it. Anyway, to me, or maybe I think it was maybe talking to Matt about it. Uh, I guess it was Matt and I were talking to me, like, you know, where Williams Noeri becomes important is not simply how talented he is. Because again, like you roll through that list. And if you told me Oklahoma misses Noary, but they sign McKinley and Stone, Nigel Smith and Okoye. And again, I think I do I readily would say that I think that, you know, William is, he's a, he's the superior prospect or he's a, his ceiling is higher than Danny's. Right. I don't think there's this massive gap where hey one kid you can't win with and the other no. kid's going to dominate. I think I think the world of Danny, right? I think Danny's got the ability to play on Sundays as a as a pass rusher as an edge player in the NFL, and so that's that's how highly I think of him. But I think where are William, for, you know, where Nowhere he comes in and it is the perception and what that does for Oklahoma football. And what that does for recruiting
1: and for Brent Venables. If he announces on Monday the social media push and just so the, all the publicity, and, and it's going to be
0: huge. You know, and it's like this, it's this weird thing where you kind of, if you detach from it and if, everybody did this right when Oklahoma, when we, on the, you know, and one of the things we all talked about it, right? Like, gosh, when Oklahoma went six and seven, who do you compare this to? Has anybody ever done this? And you start looking at it, well, I don't know. And it's like, okay, well. One of the ones that first jumped out to my mind. I think the 30 for 30 Catholics versus convicts is one of my favorite. I love it. They're just probably, all, you know, everybody should watch it. But, you know, you look at like what Lou Holtz did at Notre Dame. I think his first season they were, I think they were won four or five games under 500. Second season they came out, looked like they were going to be really good, lost some games late in the year. I think they ended up, you know, eight and four. But those, you know, but three of those four losses were, I think all four of them are really close to really good teams, right? It's so around year three they win a national title, and you look at well, how do they do that? Well, it was he immediately started getting guys like Zorich and all the you know these these guys that won them the national title in year three. He landed out the gate, and you could see it build. And as you're able to look at it from the past and say, okay, I see, I see that building. I see his first three classes and what they did and how they improved, and it was yeah, you could see them building for that national title. And I think you look at you know. You could say the same thing. If, if Oklahoma lands, you know, Noary on Monday, what that's going to do from a fever pitch and recruiting in the high brown Oklahoma, and if they turn around and they land, you know, David Stone right after that, and they land Nigel Smith after that, and you're sitting there, and then we've talked about this, so put some stuff on the board, right? And for some of our preview stuff, when you really dive into the schedule Oklahoma has this year, who they're playing and what that looks like, I mean, this is a team that absolutely should go out and win 10 games by oh, maybe double digits. I mean, it's just they're playing a group of five schedule by and large. Well, and, and,
1: and, and one of their teams is is going to be down like they're going to catch Iowa State in the middle of whatever gambling suspension controversy they're facing.
0: And that's, that, that's, I say. That, that's the other thing. It's like, and I ran the numbers on it, even the – so, they're half, half of the schedule is a is group of five in the sense of like they were group of five just last year and they literally just got into the Big 12. So, it's not a case where, oh, these teams were building for the past four years to get into the Big 12. No, these are teams that just, you know, again, it's group of five. And, and the teams that were power five last year, they were as a whole. Barely above 500, and that's with a TCU team going 13 and 2. So it's just the schedule sets where, you know, you could have the rocket fuel of the ESPN mothership pushing Oklahoma, Texas moving to the SEC. So they're going to pump that up. And if you go yep. out and you land these recruits, then you go 11 and 1, you'll get in the playoff. It's just everything sets up to where it could be like, hey, this could be the type of thing where. Oklahoma wants a national championship in two to three years, and you look back and say, okay, I see those building blocks. They happen. And here's, you know, this would be one of the major ones going in. So that's, you know, again, like like I said, if they don't get them and you go get Danny Okoye and in the defensive end class, like you're you're still gonna win. It's just uh again, I think it's a it's a bit of a jet fuel to to perception and what that does for other kids, you know.
1: Yeah, I mentioned it by by. uh Five recruiting thoughts that when the last one was, you know, all the camp evidence we're getting really highlights what a top five class should look like and look like on the field, right? We're getting buzz that PJ looks fantastic. Peyton Bowen looks great. Josiah Wagner looks very good. Um, Makari Vickers and Jacoby Johnson are flying around. You mentioned the two linebackers looking how they're supposed to at both of those kids, you know. Omosigo was top 100, Lewis Carter should have been. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you've got Peyton and you've got Jackson Arnold. You know, again, everyone's raving about him and Caleb Hicks. It's just, it's just, it's the depth, right? It's, you know, Caden Greed looks really good. It's like when you get a top five class and you get 10 to 15 kids that are like top 125, top 150 consensus, it's that depth that it automatically, that infusion of depth and talent into your roster. Oh, you could stack another class. So, like this. So next spring, sorry, next fall, we're talking about Davin Mitchell at tight end. You know, we're talking Jaden Jackson at nose guard. Uh, we're talking um, Jeremiah Newcomb at cornerback. Jaden Hardy at safety. Uh, we're talking. You know, maybe they get Grant Bricks and he enrolls early, and all of a sudden that you know Grant Bricks and Eddie Pierre Louis. Are both you know in the O line too deep? It's where you stack these classes with this kind of talent. The, where you where you say who are the top fifteen kids? Are you sign. You say what's well, these guys? And you and all of a sudden, then that fall, you're like, and that in August, you're like talking about twelve of them. Uh, you know, like, man, do they look freaking good? That's that's where that's the difference in Brent's top five class than the Lincoln Riley top five class, where it was like it was it was. It's wide receivers and a quarterback, right, okay yeah,
0: you nailed it like I think we one of the earlier one of the pods we did in the winter, right, we talked about, hey, you had a really fun question, and it was, what are the five guys you know that would have changed uh o u football trajectory, and, yeah. and the thing when I really went through and did that, and I'd known this before, just from following recruiting and you know uh being in personnel before is. <sighs> You win championships by stacking those classes. And the difference between Oklahoma, you know, not winning in 02 and not winning in 8 and not winning in 17, you can, this is true. You can go back to those, the three classes leading up to that or the four classes leading up to that. And you can pick one or two guys. You can pick one guy every year in those classes that they should have got. They led for or was committed at one point and flipped somewhere else. And you say, man, if you add Jeremy Macklin to the 2008 OU team and he's at wide receiver opposite of, you know, Iggy, and you've got Jermaine inside, like, yeah, I mean, you know, their ability to throw the deep ball against Florida and how that stretches it, it just changes it. You know, if you add, you know, if you had a running back that you didn't miss, a guy didn't leave, and Quentin Griffin is a senior on your 2002 team. When, or 2003 team, rather, right? When you go play LSU and you're playing at yeah. the state and he's rushing for, you know, ran for 2,000 yards the year before, he's rushing for another 2,000 yards. Yeah, you're beating those teams. And and Bob leaves, you know, with three, four national titles. It's, that's, that is, that's what wins it, right? It's where you, Brent talks about all the time, right? Yes. Yeah. The margin of error is really thin. And this is what it comes down to. It's, uh but, you know, Brent's, all, they've also done a, he understands that and he understands it at levels. Given, I say that, where he says, "Hey, look, uh, I'm, I'm going to go get Andy Bass, and I'm going to go get you know Burke and Kaiser as preferred walk-ons. I'm going to find a way to get them in here, and I'm going to get you know if we yeah. miss on on William Newberry, okay, I'm, I'm going to the flexibility with, the, with Danny Akoya. yeah, yeah that, and then yeah, that's where you're not left in a lurch.
1: Yeah, because you know the twenty our last comment is the twenty two class, Brent's first class. When you think about it, I mean, sure, there's been some transfers and some hit or miss with the guys that they added, but If you think about it, the linebacker group looks good. Grayson Holton and R. Mason Thomas uh, look good on the defensive line. And then you've got Gentry and Robert Spears Jennings both look good on the secondary. And then uh, Taylor and Seton look great on the offensive line. The running backs look good. The wide receiver group, we're we're, we're, we're hoping Nick Anderson stays healthy and we're starting to hear some good things about Jaden Gibson too. Like yeah, it, it may just be, it just may, they just may, they probably just needed a mentor, right? A real professional mentor. Hey, I,
0: I, I think I, I mean, I put this on the board whenever, uh, we did our art- article on Emmett Jones and, you know, his recruiting background. Again, like, I like think I said this in the front end, when you really go into like the depths of the rooms that he developed, the other part that did stick out to me it's not just it's not just the, the Bradley kid last year at at Tech. You know he has developed three four guys that are six four six five six six type wide receivers. He, you know, give it to high school coaches. Oftentimes and it's where he came from, right? Like they're usually really good teachers, and uh, that's what coaching is. And I think he's we've got an ability. I think to teach, so he can get yeah. If you can get Jaden Gibson. Developed and playing, you know, and giving you some, giving you some juice. Uh, yeah, you no, know, he. That first class had some kids leave, and and you're going to have that when Brent signed a class that he had been there one week before the first signing day, and you know, right, 55 days before the second. Like, there's going to for him to do what he did is evaluations
1: are compressed. You know you don't know, yeah. get to know the kids as well. Yeah, but you know, just I'm just saying that 22 is not as bad as we thought. There's lots of players 23 we're seeing guys all over the place and then you pull in what we think could be the 24 class and then the 25 class after and 25 is like shooting off like a rocket. As we've mentioned, you know, all of a sudden you, it's you know, you know, all of a sudden you've got four classes compressed together and you've got, you could have a lot of talent. And, uh, it's, as I had to as to repeat the monarch I've been saying for months, it's all there for the taking. It really, Grab is. it on the field close this class out and then you'll have a turbo boost for your first SEC class 2025
0: so yep and and, and the good news there is it's one of the best in-state classes the state of Oklahoma has produced
1: yes yeah, with real long long know, with,
0: the with long
1: athletes all over the place it's not, it's not just small guys so alright guys well we've given you the dream class we've talked about that enough uh, we're going to end the pod on that note um, Caleb and I will be back next week uh, with another podcast we're hoping to maybe have a surprise pod, pod for you with the williams Winery situation. Keep an eye out for that. If you subscribe to this, you don't need to worry about it. You'll get the notification the moment it gets posted online. But all those things are kind of working. Uh, we're working on those. And um, I'll probably also be doing some Twitter space stuff with Barry Wise. So if you're not following Barry Wise or or me on Twitter, please do that to be aware of the Twitter spaces as well. And. We, we're hoping to have maybe some, maybe, maybe have a YouTube podcast surprise for you uh, next week. So thanks everyone for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice and follow me on Twitter. I'm CM underscore suitors 360. Thanks everyone.